This morning, uh, we begin the next chapter, uh, Romans 13. The previous chapter started with instructions regarding our relationship with God. And it progressed to our relationship with our fellow man. And we spent a lot of time in the last two lessons talking about love and how love compels us to, to, to love as we've been loved, to forgive as we've been forgiven, to show mercy like we've received mercy, to treat others the way we'd want them to treat us, amen, to treat others the way that God has treated us. The standard is not how somebody else treated me. The standard is how I was treated by God, amen, and when I was unlovable, he loved me, amen, when I, I was worthless, he died for me. Amen. When I had nothing to offer him, he gave me everything. And I am to treat every other individual the way that I've been treated, not by individuals, but by God. Amen. The standard is not do unto others as, as they have done unto you. The standard is do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. How do you want to be treated? Amen. And this is the way I want to be treated. I want to be treated the way that God has treated me. Amen. He's shown me mercy. He's shown me grace. And he's shown me his great love. Amen. Now, and this is the segment of the letter that is, deals with very practical Christian living. It's answering the question, how shall we live? How, how do we live now that we're Christians? So now we turn the, the page, we enter a new chapter, and now we're going to address our relationship to society. And it begins with our obligation to secular government. I'm going to tell you at the outset, there's not a deep, profound, spiritual point that's going to be made this morning. Amen. We're going to talk about citizenship, if that's all right. Amen. Because as a Christian, I may be saved and I may be a citizen of heaven, but I still live in a secular world that is ruled by secular government, and I need to know how I relate to that government. Amen. And so it begins, this, this chapter begins with our obligation to secular government. As Christians, we have a responsibility to submit to civil authority. Amen? It's likely that as Paul spells out our obligation to civil authority and begins his instructions in chapter 13, that he is basing those instruct, instructions on the commandment of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 21 where Jesus said, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God's. Amen. From that viewpoint then, Paul presents the most comprehensive presentation of a Christian's obligation to submit to government that is found anywhere in Scripture. Amen. This passage that we're going to look at this morning sets the standard for how Christians interact with society in every age, across every generation, regardless of the society or the times. These are simple, timeless truths. Amen. We're going to take the first seven verses of Romans chapter 13. I'll read it and then we'll get into it. If you'll stand with me for the reading of the word, Romans chapter 13, beginning with verse 1 says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. 
For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay you tribute also. For they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom is due. Fear to whom fear and honor to whom honor. Amen. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus, we love you. We prayerfully and carefully take up the word of God, Lord, and we ask that you let us shine into our hearts, Lord, and let it speak to us, Lord, and let it develop us and change us into what you would have us to be. Let the word of God that is about to be preached in our hearing, Lord, have an eternal impact upon our lives. And Lord, we're asking that you to have your way in this service today in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. The first verse said, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. Let every soul, Paul said, be subject to the higher powers. That's the key statement for the whole passage. Paul makes it plain that this is a universal principle. Every soul, and soul is used not in the sense of the eternal spirit of an individual, but in the sense of a person. And the point here is that every person, without exception, no one is excused from this rule. Every person is to be subject to the higher powers. Now, before we discuss what it means to be subject, let us first discuss what it means by higher powers. Powers. The main concept there in the Greek is, is the word for power or authority. It includes the right to tell others what to do. Boy, none of us likes that. Amen. But when somebody has the right to tell me what to do, they have power. They have authority. And the, and the concept here is uh, the ability not just to tell me what to do, but the ability to enforce those directives through physical force. Amen. They don't, the power doesn't just tell me what to do. The power has the ability to make me do. Amen. To punish me if I do not do what it says to do. That word then, power, is modified by a word that means to be in a high position. High power. Amen. The combination of those two words is used to describe governmental power or civil government or, or civil authority or power. So every person is to be subject to governmental authority. That's the higher power. Amen. Now that raises the question then, what does it mean to be subject? That, that verb there is a military word. It speaks of soldiers that are reigned in order under a general. They are under him, and as such, they are subject to his 
orders. That word includes but is not limited to obedience. It implies obedience. And the fact that the orders that are given are orders that should be obeyed. That's how every man is supposed to relate to government. We are to have an attitude of willing compliance to governmental authority. Amen? Yeah, I know this is, this is real deep spiritual stuff here. You're supposed to be a good citizen. Amen? But that's the truth. What follows that declaration, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, is an explanation of the reason why we should willingly submit to governmental authority. There is no power but of God. And the powers that be are ordained of God. So all valid human authority comes from God himself. He is the only one who has absolute inherent authority. And he has established governmental powers and authority among men in order to institute orderly human society. Amen. So God has given or he has vested authority or power into civil government in order that there may be orderly human society. The caveat there is that governmental authorities are vested with God's power for the purpose of accomplishing God's ordained role for civil authority. Government exists. The, the, the governmental authority or power exists to reward those who do good and to punish those who do evil. This passage contains no instruction regarding political involvement on the part of a believer. It doesn't stop you from being involved in politics. It doesn't stop you from uh, being involved in activities that are intended to help shape the law of the land or even repeal a law or, or even uh, stand up and, and, and have an outcry against a law that is unjust or unfair. But in the end, this passage holds you accountable to the fact that the authority that is over you is an authority that was instituted by God. And we are to be submissive to it. Amen. Verse 2 says, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now that's strong language. Paul says that whoever resists the power is resisting the ordinance of God. Since all human authority ultimately comes from God. Those who rebel against authority are really rebelling against God. Now, you wouldn't make that leap when you start thinking about uh, government and how that uh, sometimes it seems unjust and sometimes it seems unfair and sometimes we, we feel like we have a right to rebel. Amen. But you wouldn't make the connection. But Paul makes the connection here. That authority came from God. And when you rebel against that authority, essentially you're rebelling against God. So Paul says that those who do so are setting themselves against what God has instituted. And, and, and what they're doing is they're putting themselves against the plan or the purpose of God for orderly society. Amen? When you do that, he says that you will receive to themselves damnation. That word translated as damnation is the word for judgment. And while damnation is 
a, a possible translation there. It's probably a bit strong. Uh, it, it carries more of an eternal sense than what is probably intended here. Those who defy civil government will be judged by civil authorities. Break the law, do the crime, do the time. Amen? You break the law, you're going to face the judgment of civil authorities. If you break that power, you, you resist that ordinance that come from God, you resist that authority that is placed over you, you're going to receive judgment. That's just the, the way the system is set up. That's the way the, the, the governmental authority is ordered. They have the authority from God to judge, and they will judge those who break the law. Does that make sense? And that is, the, that is the role of government. That's why God put government in place. That's why there is human government. God does not, did not make humanity to live in a condition of anarchy where there was no government. He made man to live in a condition of human government and that human government is there to punish those who do evil. Amen? And to reward those who do good. And so when government punishes those who break the law, it's acting within the authority that God has given it. Verse 3 says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. So it's the fear of judgment here that, that is likened to terror. It's the fear of judgment or terror which motivates men and women to submit themselves to governmental authority. Now, fear is given here as the lowest common denominator. That's what binds all men together under the power of the authorities. We all know that if you break the law, you pay the price. Amen? So fear, we're gonna, in a minute, we're going to get a higher, a higher uh, denominator. We're going to get a, a, a higher law, if you will, that governs us. But right now, we're dealing with the lowest common denominator, the thing that brings all people in common under civil authority or civil government is fear. It binds all people. The authority has the power to punish. Amen? That's what we said goes along with that word authority. Not just the ability to give orders, but the ability to punish. And so the authority has the ability to punish, and as such, they are to be respected. Now, this verse also delves into the God-given role of government. Rulers are not supposed to be a terror to those that do good works. They are supposed to be a terror to those whose works are evil. For those whose deeds are dishonorable, those who do evil things, the power of government exists to punish them. And that fact should terrify them. They should know that if they break the law, they should live in fear of the fact that if they invade my home in the middle of the night, amen, the government is going to prosecute them. Uh, that if they take a life, amen, that they're going to pay the penalty of having taken that life. They should live in fear of the judgment that will be passed on them if they're caught doing wrong. Wrong. Amen. That is the brute force power of civil authority. That is what enforces the law of the land. However, those who do good and those who do right shouldn't have to live in fear of the authorities. 
Amen. They should have the confidence that government will, instead of punishing them, honor them for having done good, that it will praise them for having done right. That's the God-given role of governmental authority. Amen. It should punish those who do evil, and it should honor those who do good. Now, some governments fail in that fundamental task, but their failure is not relevant to Paul's instruction here. He said every man should submit to governmental authority because that authority comes from God. Amen? Governments that abuse their powers to punish good and honor that which is evil will answer to God because it is God's authority that they have subverted. It's God's authority that they have abused. We, as Christians have the simple admonition that we are to submit to authority in as much as authority does not require of us something that is in direct conflict with the law of God. Amen? As long as the law of man is not compelling me to transgress the law of God, I have a conscious uh, requirement of me that I submit that's what the verse is saying. I submit to authority. Verse 4 says, For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So in verse 4, governmental authority is now personified as a he. And he is described as being God's minister for good. Now, minister here means servant or helper. It is somebody who is serving God or helping God for good. And the connotation here is that God is using that servant to motivate people to do good deeds. And the principle is then repeated or reinforced that if you do that which is evil, then you should fear the authority that God has placed over you. If you're going to do wrong, then you ought to fear the judgment that is going to seek you out and find you. Amen? That's not a bad thing. I'm glad that murderers need to be afraid that they're going to be caught. I'm glad that people who beat up and rob the elderly... I'm getting there, amen, that they need to be afraid that there's civil authority that is going to come down on them. There's judgment that's waiting for them. I am thankful for that, amen. The reason that they should fear the civil authority of the power, the reason they should fear that minister of God is because he has the power to punish. The verse says that he bears the sword, the sword represents the power of life and death and governmental authority, civil authority, human power, human authority has that power of life and death and he does not bear it in vain. What that means is he can use it. Amen. Government is just in executing punishment for that which is evil, even to the point of taking life. Now, it doesn't matter where you fall on the political spectrum. Amen. It doesn't matter how you may feel about capital punishment. Uh, the principle is very plain here. Amen. That, that, that 
that civil authority has that role of taking life. Amen? Now, Paul calls him the revenger. And if you remember from our last lesson in chapter 12, we emphatically said that it is not our place to pursue vengeance. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. You were not created to handle vengeance. You were not created to deal with retribution. That belongs to God. You weren't made to hold bitterness and harbor it in your heart. You weren't made for revenge. Amen. Vengeance belongs to the Lord and he executes his vengeance through his means and civil authority is one of the ways that God executes his vengeance. Amen. It's the law. The due process of law is one of the ways that God brings about his vengeance. So that minister of God is seen as the revenger. He is carrying out God's vengeance whenever that individual has done wrong. So civil authority has that purpose to avenge that which is wrong. Now, God's always given this, uh, this purpose to believers, to those who, uh, individuals that are attacked and harmed and wronged, you have the responsibility to respond with love. That's what the last two lessons are about. That's what all of the latter half of chapter 12 was about. You have the responsibility to respond with grace and forgiveness and mercy. Remember, he loved me when I didn't deserve it. He showed me mercy when I wasn't worthy of it. He forgave me when I did not deserve forgiveness. That's what's required of you. Amen. But God has the authority to exact vengeance. Amen. And he uses civil government to do it. Does that make sense? Amen. Government's job is to punish evildoer. We don't punish them. We let God handle that. We let God take care of it. And so regardless of where you stand, that is definitely, this verse is definitely a clear indication that God has ordained capital punishment. The sword is given as an example, the ability to take life and death or the ability to have power over life and death. And it is not given as the example of the only kind of punishment that there is. I'm thankful that they don't behead you for a speeding ticket. Amen. But it is given as the extreme form of punishment, and then it encompasses all other forms of punishment that fall under it. The sword represents the power of civil government. Amen. Verse 5 says, Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. So the first principle that we were presented with is the lowest common denominator. Fear is the motivator. For obeying civil government. If you break the law, you're going to get in trouble. Amen. That's enough lots of times to keep people in line. Parents understand this with your children. Amen. They, they know that if they're going to be punished, that they don't break the rules. But the minute they get the idea they can break the rule without being punished, you're in trouble. Amen. Right? We've all, we've all experienced that. So that's the lowest common denominator. Fear is the motivator. All men everywhere understand the language of fear. And we submit to governmental power because we recognize that it has the ability to cause us harm. It has the ability, if we fail to submit to it, to ultimately take our life. But this verse presents us with the higher principle. 
Another source of motivation that is less negative and more positive. Paul says that we need to be subject to the authorities that God has placed in our life, not just because of wrath, not just because of the punishment that they can bring to bear on us, but also for conscience sake. Amen? Our conscience should compel us to yield to the authority that God has placed in our life. It shouldn't take the fear of punishment to keep us from doing evil. It shouldn't take the fear of the sword to stop us from doing that which is wrong. It should be enough to recognize that the authority that we are violating is an authority that was placed there by God. And our conviction regarding God's divine order should be enough to keep us in submission to governmental authority. It should be strong enough to motivate us not to transgress the authority that God has placed over us. Amen? To do all things decently and in order. That, that, there's an important truth then presented here. If the only compelling force for obeying the law of the land was the fear of getting caught, that would create an environment where it is acceptable to transgress the, the law or the authorities that are placed in your life as long as you don't get caught. If that's the only thing that governs us is the fear of punishment, then the idea stands that as long as you don't get caught, it's okay. Right? But it's not okay. Our conscience should remind us that whether we get caught or not, whether we are punished or not, God knows that we've transgressed. God knows that we've broken the law. God knows that we have stepped outside of the boundaries of the authority that has been placed over us. And, and conscience enough, uh, conscience alone should be enough to keep us from rebelling against God's authority. Amen. Just because you got along with, away with it doesn't mean it's okay. Amen. Even when there's little or no chance that you're going to get caught for doing wrong, doing wrong still violates God's authority in your life. The higher principle is I do right out of conscience, not out of fear of punishment. What if there was a place where I could do anything I wanted to do and I didn't have to fear punishment? I should still be governed by conscience. God knows what I do. He knows every idle word that passes my mouth. He knows every thought that runs through my mind. He knows every deed that my hands commit. He knows every place that my foot takes me. He sees everything that my eye sees. That should govern my life. Amen? Verse 6 says, For this cause, pay ye tribute also. Now we're going to get down where the rubber meets the road. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. So we make our way back to the commandment of Jesus and the ultimate expression of submission to civil government. Submission to authority is why you pay taxes, which is what tribute is. It's taxes. Jesus said in Matthew chapter, chapter 22 and verse 21, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God's. And he was talking about 
paying your taxes. Give the government its rightful due. Pay the taxes that you owe. Not only did Jesus teach that it was necessary to pay taxes, he actually demonstrated to the disciples the necessity of doing so by enabling them to be able to pay their taxes. How did they get the money? Well, he told them to go fishing because that's what they do. They fish. Amen. And what happened? They caught a fish and the money was in the fish's mouth and they had the money they needed to pay the taxes. Paying taxes is an important part of submitting to government. I knew you weren't going to get up and shout and run the aisles. But taxes are how civil government obtains the means to fulfill its God-given role in our life. Inasmuch as the ruler is a minister of God for our good, it is our responsibility to provide the means for that minister to work in our lives. We receive the benefit of the good. We all want policemen. Nobody wants a policeman around when you're speeding, but everybody wants a policeman around when you're being harmed. Amen? We all want a policeman to be available. We all want firefighters. Amen. We all want people who are willing to stand in and, and protect us and take care of us and, and take care of our needs. And we want all those things to be available when we need them. And like it or not, it's your tax dollars that pay for that. Sounds a whole lot like a public service announcement and not a sermon. But we're right in the very heart of the Word of God. This is why you pay taxes. Because government is a minister for your good. Amen. It benefits you. It blesses you. Now, it's important to note here that Paul is not saying that we should pay taxes because we have to. Most of us, that's the only reason we pay taxes. It's because we have to. Paul, there's a, higher, there's a higher rule here. We're not talking about fear. There's a higher rule at work here. We ought to pay taxes because we recognize that government is God's minister for our good. And they attend continually upon this very thing. That word, uh, that phrase, attend continually, conveys the connotation of working full time. It means that this is what they do full-time. Amen. The firefighter, that's his job. He doesn't have another job. He's a firefighter. The policeman, that's what he does. He does that full-time. Amen. He has to be supported then. He has to have a source of income. There is no other source of income. Amen. For him, this is what he does full-time. Amen. And because they do it full-time for our benefit, it's our duty then to pay for it. That makes sense? Civil Government 101. Amen. It is important that we recognize we don't pay taxes just because it's required of us. We benefit from that. Now, unfortunately, the whole world benefits from us paying taxes. Amen. But we benefit from paying taxes, and that is why we do that. Verse 7 says, Render, therefore, to all their dues. Tribute. To whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. And once again, we hear the echo of the words of Jesus Christ Render to all that which is due them. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Render to every man 
that which is rightfully his. The instructions that are given in this verse are given as imperatives. That means it is a command. This isn't, this isn't a take it or leave it kind of thing. There's no wiggle room here. Amen. This is the kind of behavior that is expected of followers of Jesus Christ. Amen. We are to render, therefore, to all what is due to them. So Paul gives us four examples of what we are responsible for giving to those who deserve it. The first two on the list, out of four, two of them deal with taxes. Amen. The first is tribute, which is a reference to direct taxes that are levied by the government. The best example of tribute would be the income tax. We are, we're supposed to be honest about our income. We're supposed to be honest and responsible citizens who render to the government that which is rightfully theirs. Amen. And pay the taxes that are due because we receive the benefit from those taxes. The second on the list is custom. And, and customs is another form of tax that is less direct and more closely related to our various activities. Believe it or not, paying for a hunting and fishing license is a kind of tax. Paying a toll on a toll road, that's a kind of tax. Amen. You pay that tax and you receive the benefit. By, if you pay your buying your hunting and fishing license, you're helping fund the Arkansas Game of Fish and the, the lands they purchase and upkeep for your benefit. If you pay for a toll road, you're helping raise the money that are, are to repay the, the construction of the roadway and the upkeep that is necessary to keep that roadway in a usable condition. We're not, as Christians... Others may shirk their duty. Others may look to find a way around paying the toll. Others may try to find loopholes in the law to not have to pay those small taxes. But as Christians, we're supposed to do that. Amen. We're supposed to recognize there's a higher principle. No, I may not get caught cheating the toll road. I may not get caught going hunting without a license or fishing without a license or whatever the other things that may fall under this category. But I do that not because I'm afraid I'm going to get caught, but because it's a higher authority at work in my life. God knows whether or not I'm doing right. Amen? And so we, we have to have that concept that I'm going to do my part as a member of society. The third thing that we are to render to authority is fear. And this is not a, a reference to abject terror, but it's a, it's a reference to respect. We should respect authorities. We should respect those that have the rule over us, those that are in governmental position. I don't have to agree with the politics of a president to respect the role of a president. Amen? I don't have to, I don't have to agree with his party affiliation to show him the honor and respect that the office deserves. Does that make sense? And then finally, we're supposed to render honor where honor is due. We owe honor to governmental authority in our life because they operate under the umbrella of God's authority. So we should give them the honor that they deserve. Now, these seven verses describe for us the proper attitude towards government by Christians. One final note, though, needs to be made. These commandments are not dependent on a particular form of government or even a particular level of governmental morality. 
Just because a government perverts the authority that God has given it does not mean that we are released from this obligation. Everyone is to submit to righteous authority. That authority comes from God. Brother Bernard points out that the government of Paul's day was the Roman Empire, a dictatorship, not a democracy, a dictatorship that was headed by Emperor Nero. And in many ways, it fell short of God's ideal for human government. Uh, it allowed many ungodly and unchristian practices to take place. Nevertheless, it generally upheld the law. It generally uh, punished murderers and, and, and punished thieves and punished criminals and, and punished those who victimized people. And in the general sense, it upheld law and order. And Paul, though he would eventually lose his life unjustly at the hands of the Roman government, he admonished believers everywhere to submit to the authority of that same government. Not because it was 100% right, but because it derived its power from God. That's how serious this is. The principle is that we are to be submissive to government even when the form of government is faulty. We are to be submissive to government even when individual rulers are inadequate or even evil. There are no limits placed in this passage on a Christian's responsibility to submit to governmental authority, no matter if the authority is exercised in a noble way or in an oppressive way. If it's, if it's gained legitimately or illegitimately, that doesn't matter. Linsky says in, in, in re reference to these verses that the fact that authorities may act criminally changes nothing as to God's will regarding their establishment among men. Amen. That's God's business to take care of that. It's my business to fulfill my role as a citizen in a society and submit myself to the authority that's been placed over me. Amen. God ordained human government. God put it in place. And God expects us to submit to it. He'll handle tyranny in his own way, in his own time. Amen. We can trust him. He is the one who takes care of vengeance. Amen. He'll do it according to his own purpose. The biblical record even bears out that God sometimes uses tyrannical, evil authorities and evil governments to accomplish his own purpose. Amen. You read the book of you read the Old Testament. You read about the falling away of Israel. You see how many times God takes a, an evil, tyrannical ruler and uses them to bring judgment to Israel. Amen. Brother Littles mentioned it last week while he was preaching, talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and how that the commandment was given by God to submit to that terror that was coming, to submit to that judgment that was coming, not to oppose it. And how that the, the, the king decided to oppose it, and they fought, but how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel submitted to that authority, and how God used that submission to bring about his... That was an oppressive, evil terrible government but it was it was God's will and the fulfilling of God's purpose and plan that those children of Israel were pushed into that for 70 years for judgment and then God used that very tyrannical evil rulership or the one that replaced it to rebuild the temple amen as much as I hate to say it as an American we'll celebrate the 4th of July here pretty soon and I am, I am devoutly American. 
Amen. But the Bible never condones violent rebellion against government. It's not our place to handle that. Even the Roman Empire, even though it was a repressive foreign dictatorship for the Jews, neither Jesus nor Paul taught anything but peaceful submission to it and cooperation with it. Amen. There may be places and times where conscience compels the Christian to disobey civil law and civil authority. If that becomes the case, the Christian should stand on their moral principle. You don't ever bend the law of God to meet the law of man. Amen? The law of God is always the higher law. But you should also recognize the God-given authority of government and accept whatever civil penalty is assessed against you for having transgressed the law of the land. You want to be a conscientious objector? That's okay. If we are compelled by our conscience uh, to, 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 to deny or stand against the law of the land, that, that's okay. Amen. That, that's, that's fine. Amen. If we violate civil ordinance because uh, of our conscience, then that, that's, we're well within our rights because of the law of God is higher than the law of man. But we're still required to submit to the judgment that's passed on us. So the question remains then, if the standard is that we must submit to the authorities in our lives because they are the extension of God's authority, does that mean that it is a sin to break the law? Let me get right down where you live. I sure wish Trent was here. Is it a sin to speed? Brother Donnie had to leave on that one. Is it a sin to speed? No, it's not a sin to speed. Sister Brandy's about to get up and do her happy dance. God's law, not man's law, defines sin and morality. We should never mistake the two. Sometimes the law of man will align itself with the law of God. Murder is a violation of both laws. Amen? But sometimes man's law will not correspond to God's law. Some things may be legal by the standard of law, but still be immoral by God's standard. The Christian is not bound to submit to that which is immoral. The Christian is not bound to submit to that which would cause him to break the law of God. But this passage still serves to underscore the power of the authorities to punish us when we violate the law, no matter if the law was just or not. I may be a conscientious objector. I may decide not to obey the law because it violates my conscience. And that in and of itself is okay as long as my stance is aligned with God's morality. But I must recognize that then I will be required to submit to the punishment that comes along with not obeying the law of the land. The authority, the government, still has the God-given right to enforce its laws. Amen? That's the cornerstone of human government. And even Jesus didn't defy it. 
Jesus was falsely accused, yet he lifted not his voice against his accusers. Amen. When he was wrongly accused, he was wrongly beaten, and he was wrongly crucified. He never one time rebelled against the authority that was being placed over him. That's extreme, but that's our example. With that example in view, the Apostle Paul, who wrote these words, gave his life willingly at the hands of the Roman government. He was beheaded. He did no wrong. It was religious persecution. He done no wrong, but he willingly surrendered to the authority of the Roman government and gave his life. He said, I understand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. There is now laid up before me a crown of glory in heaven. I'm not waiting for some treasure down here. My treasure is laid up on the other side. And so he willingly laid down his life. So is it okay to break the law? Sure. But you need to be willing to recognize the fact that the law still has the authority to punish. On the other hand, some things may be illegal but not inherently immoral. Breaking the law, while it may bring the judgment of civil authority, may not be inherently a sin. Are you in trouble with God if you fail to put on your seatbelt? You're breaking the law, but are you committing a moral crime? No, probably not. But you should also not complain when you had to pay the ticket. That's the principle at play here. Does that make sense? One easy rule of thumb, if you'd stand with me, Brother Ryan, if you'd come to the music. One easy rule of thumb is that if you have to cheat, lie, steal, or violate God's moral law in any other way, then you're guilty of sin, no matter if it was in violation of the law or not. Amen? And as Christians, we're governed by the higher moral law. Not the law of the land. We submit to the law of the land because that's the authority that's placed over us. But we're, it doesn't. they could change the law and make something that is immoral okay by the law, and it doesn't make it okay for us. Does that make sense? Amen. We're held to a higher law. And when the law of man conflicts with the moral law of God, the moral law of God is superior to the law of man. But when they, when they don't conflict then we need to recognize that we are morally bound by the law of God to submit to human government or face the penalty for having not done so. Amen. There's a certain element of judgment that will always be there. So the bottom line this morning, there's no great deep spiritual truth. You know, you ought to pay your taxes, and I'm not going to call you to the altar to repent this morning. But I do want you to recognize that You're to be law-abiding citizens in every way that you possibly can be as long as your first loyalty remains to the law of God and you never transgress that. Amen. Brother Donnie, if you don't mind to let my wife and the kids in the back know that we're finished, we're going to do a baby dedication in just a minute. I've asked Brother Ryan just to get a worship song together. I don't know what kind of song you sing after a sermon about paying taxes and not speeding or whatever, but we're going to do that right now. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.